no matter where you go, what programs you're in, I think it's about the completeness of what you can take from that is going to be more impactful, I think, on how you project into the rest of your career. And so being high integrity, being a good person, having great social skills, and then just being really curious in everything that you do, that disposition is often something that I think is so much more valuable than where exactly went to school or what those grades might have been. Welcome to the Joe Momo Presents podcast. This is the Calgary Leader Series. Let's start the show. I'm really excited to have my next guest on the podcast. He's the CEO at Landmark Cinemas Canada. Welcome to the podcast, Bill Walker. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Let's just jump right into it. How about we let the listeners know uh, who you are and what you do? Uh, so, Bill Walker, I'm the CEO of Landmark Cinemas. Uh, I have the privilege of looking after Landmark here in Canada, which today we operate 38 movie theaters from Ontario to Vancouver Island. Uh, and then through our parent company, we also acquired 10 movie theaters in the U.S. under a different brand called MJR, where we oversee 10 movie theaters kind of in the greater Detroit metro area. That's awesome. When doing some research for this interview, I saw you have a wealth of experience in real estate and uh, just leadership in general. Um, perhaps you could give us a little quick uh, rundown how you got to where you are today in terms of your role. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've had a very fortunate career that I came across um, some great people that were willing to take a chance. And so one of the things when I've reflected on my career a few times, and, and I've interacted with a lot of different entrepreneurs that have built a business, that have done something on their own, that have kind of created an idea, taken a, a niche in the market and done something, when I reflect on my career, I didn't do that at all. What I, the entrepreneurship that made me successful was, was entrepreneurship in the sense of a willingness to take risk of some people that I got to know along my career that said, you know what, the resume might not make perfect sense, but I believe in Bill and I think he can do it. And so for me, I, I, that for me was starting out, I it was with Irving, uh, running a, some building supply stores in Atlantic Canada called Kent Building Supplies. Uh, had a great experience with them. They put me through an executive MBA program. When I was there in that program, I met someone that really started my trajectory going, which was a person named Valerie Ryan. Uh, after we finished the program, kind of kept in contact. Uh, she was the chief operating officer at a company called Empire Theatres, and she needed a new VP of operations. My resume was running a building supply store. And so at that moment in time, for her to look at me and say, hey, I think the right thing for you would be to jump in um, and, and run these movie theaters nationally for them. At the time, we had about 50 movie theaters across Canada for Empire. I said, listen, if you think I can do it, I certainly think I can do it. Let's, let's go figure it out. And, and that willingness to take risk uh, is really what got me into the movie business and I think uh, set me on a certain path. And, and from there, obviously, we had some good success with Empire. Um, before, again, uh, when I came out to Landmark, that was moving from Atlanta, Canada to Western Canada. Uh, the private equity team that had bought and sort of merged Landmark uh, with a group of those theaters from Empire, they looked at me and they they sort of saw someone young and up and coming and they needed a new leader in the business, needed a vision for it. And, uh, and I think we're willing to take a risk. I was only in my mid-20s at the time um, when I joined Landmark as the COO. And, and I think that was their willingness to kind of take that risk again on me. And, and of course, I held up my end of the bargain on that and, and sort of delivered some some pretty interesting results and good performance for the business. But without people taking those risks, um, you know, I think your your career can go very different ways. I really love that. 
that entrepreneurial spirit um, almost, it seems like you have to bet on yourself to almost make things happen and kind of uh, uh, reach those goals that uh, now, you aspire I, to. You know, the reason I, I think of it like entrepreneurship is because one of the sort of characteristics that often defines an entrepreneur is the willingness to take risk. And, and, and in this case, it's a willingness to, take, willingness to take risk in hiring decisions, right? And so what's easy as a leader is to look at someone's resume and said, and say, I want them to have 10 years of doing this and five years of doing this, and this is their college degree, and this is what it is. And that will give you a safe bet where no one will blame you if, if this person that you just hired doesn't work out. If you look at Joe and say, well, I don't know, he hasn't really done a lot of these things, but I really like him. He's really intelligent. I think he's got lots of potential. And you take a chance on Joe, that, that's on you that hired Joe if Joe fails. And so that willingness to take risk within a company, um, even though you're not independently sort of being entrepreneurial, but that is a hiring risk to kind of bet on the person and their long-term capabilities versus I want someone who's done it before. Um, and, and listen, I struggle with that myself. Still, when we're looking at hiring decisions, I consider myself the benefactor of someone taking risks. But just the same, I'll look at two, three, four candidates, whatever you're trying to do and go, well, what is that? What is that skill set? What have they done that makes this a safer choice? And so I think there's a tension there where you don't always want to bet on someone who's never done it. But uh, I think being open to the idea can be interesting. Mm. Speaking of uh, your current role right now with Landmark, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know or have been to a landmark theater, uh, but perhaps what's something that landmark does that most people don't know about? Yeah, well, I think most people would have gotten to know landmark as we've expanded over the last few years. We've opened a lot of new theaters and new markets, and we've certainly uh, invested a ton of money in the movie theater experience. So pre-COVID, that was going quite well. Uh, we were the first in Canada to sort of lean in with this recliner seating experience. Picture taking a movie theater with 250 seats, and you're going to go put in uh, around a hundred of these big lazy boy style recliners, all powered and sort of just a beautiful, more personal space, um, a whole lot more comfort. And so that's what really kind of created the landmark brand that we built um, across Canada and the markets that we operate. And ultimately, that's what stimulated our biggest competitor in Cineplex to start investing and improving their experience as well. And so certainly the, the industry where we operate and where we've created that competition uh, demonstrates the value of competition and how that can bring a better experience to the customer. Um, I think, you know, one of the interesting things, and, and I say something that people may not know that Landmark does, is a product we built kind of just coming through the back end of the pandemic on, on a new offering that, listen, it's not going to transform the financials of the business. But when I think about movie going and the reasons people go out, sometimes that's with a reason to celebrate an occasion, a birthday, an, an anniversary, um, of retirement, whatever it might be. And so it actually came out of a personal experience where given the influence that I had, I was going to the, the movie theater for my son's sixth birthday. And I said, well, geez, can I get a message on screen? Let me create a little video that says happy birthday for my son that will play before the movie. And as I sat there and watched my son and his buddies look at pictures of him and themselves on the screen that was playing before the, the movie they were about to see, I thought, this is just awesome. It's worth something. And it'd be really cool if we could sort of replicate this at scale. And so what since late October across all of our sites, we've had live where when you go through the booking journey, okay, I want two seats, I want to sit here. You can also buy a product called a shout out. And that shout out allows you for $20, we send you a link, you create a short 30 second video 
It could be pictures, it could be video, it could be just you talking over it. And then on your specific showtime, right before, if you booked a seven o'clock show, kind of around 6.58, your little 30 second clip uh, is going to come on the screen. So we've had, we've had all sorts of, we sold over a thousand of them now of all sorts of interesting things. And the early ones, I was kind of watching. I was like, what, what are people doing? How are they using it? We had some friends doing goofy things, making fun of their buddies. We had one person celebrating their sobriety. We had anniversaries. We had birthdays. And, and again, the financials of that is not going to transform. But what it did transform is when you went to the movies and your husband bought you a shout out and you know, you know, made a nice comment and gesture and said something with you or your kids or whatever on the screen, hugely memorable. And, and I just think it's been a cool little product that uh, the feedback from those who have used it have, have really loved it. And I myself used it uh, for my kids when we went to see Puss in Boots just recently. And it's just cool. That's awesome. Actually, I was not aware of that. So maybe I'll use that for maybe my date night with my wife uh, this week. Oh, Valentine's Day is <laughs> coming. We got, we got a campaign. <laughs> Valentine's Day is going. That's uh, for the idea. You $40, you can do a full one minute of how much you loved your wife. Come on. Oh, Jeez. wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you had mentioned uh, competitors and how uh, some took the idea of the reclining seats. Uh, by the way, I really love that uh, as a bigger mm-hmm. fellow myself. <laughs> That's really, really nice. But uh, what other uh, biggest challenge or challenges in the industry are there in the movie theater business? Movies. Movies are a challenge. <laughs> and so... You know, we're we're a we're a venue, we're a retailer that just does not control the supply chain. And everyone's got supply chain problems. Yes, popcorn's more expensive, oil. That's all. That's all the normal supply chain stuff. But ultimately, we have no control over whether Hollywood makes movies and those movies get done in time to sort of feed the fixed costs that is all of our movie theaters, all of that real estate that sits there with one distinct purpose: to exhibit movies uh, once they're made by Hollywood. And so. You know, Hollywood is leading up to the pandemic, was doing a great job of that. Um, we have had some sort of intermittent periods in the pandemic where, because there was a backlog of content that was either completed prior to the pandemic, like a Top Gun that kind of sat on the shelf for the entirety of the first 18 months of, of the pandemic before they released it, um, or other movies that kind of got completed early on, we had a real flush of great movies all at once. And we saw our business come back in a really, really healthy way. And we had one of our best months ever in July this past year. But then when there's no movies, uh, because they didn't get finished, because the production was delayed, post-production, editing, whatever it might be, those things got pushed further and further out. And so we had some big patches where you know we were there with all of the amenities, all of those beautiful seats, but just not a lot of content to entice customers to come into the movies. And so that's a risk that we've always had but in a normal marketplace, uh, the studios have filled that um, in a more reasonable way. You know, one of the questions whenever we talk about content that everyone always looks at and says, "Well, you know, what about streaming? What about Disney Plus? What's what's going on?" And and there's a couple of uh, comments I would say to that is that you know th- there's always been options to consume content at home, and so it's not entirely new. I would say the quality of content in movie theaters is is higher than ever, and the quality of content at home and the screens you can watch at home are higher than ever. But those two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? So the, the biggest consumers of streamed movies are also the biggest consumers that go to movie theaters. And so I think what you're going to see from studios is leaning in towards making movies that are purpose-built to be in movie theaters and really trying to capitalize on that first window. I think convincing consumers to get out and see them 
is all about the type and of movie that we produce and the quality of movie that's produced to go on that big screen that really uses the medium uh, effectively. The other thing that I would say that I just find really interesting to observe observe is that you know the current streaming landscape is entirely unsustainable, and no one will convince me otherwise on that. Like Netflix has the largest subscriber number at the highest monthly average check, and they're still just marginally profitable based on the amount they're spending on content. Disney Plus is number two in that space, but they still lost $3.5 billion last quarter. They had to change their CEO because they had some irregularities in the way they were accounting for the streaming content. It's not... The, the model just isn't profitable on its own. And that's even when you're number two in your Disney, because Disney is producing content of a movie theater quality, and then it just hits their service. There is no other revenue stream. There is no second window. There is no else. There's nothing else you drive out of that. Whereas the historic model for Disney on a piece of content, we make it, we release it in theaters, we get money from theaters for a couple of months, we go Blu-ray, we go rental, we go PVOD, we go downstream on a streaming. The, the entity that they create is then going to generate revenue for, call it two years over the whole life cycle before it goes in a catalog. And then it still kind of earns something. The model of streaming is we spend all the money, we make this entity, we all get excited, we made a movie, it's on the service, that's it. It's done. It's gone. And so both from an economic perspective, as well as kind of like an ecosystem of the way that echoes through the world and creates interest and creates awareness of the product, we're seeing all of the studios really refocus themselves back to how theatrical plays an important role in their business. And you know, I think as one last example is Amazon that's committed a $12 billion production budget going forward towards theatrical movies because they look at it and say the most important movie they had on their streaming service in 2022 was Top Gun. And guess what? That was also the biggest movie that played in movie theaters. And so the idea that it's kind of, it's the biggest on one or the other, it's like, no, it's when it's really big in one, it will be the biggest thing in your secondary platform as well. Um, and, and, and I think that's where it's all going to come back to now. There still requires a bunch of consolidation and streaming and consumers need to figure out how we interact with six, seven, eight services. Um, but, but there's no way that, that that's going to be a sustainable model. No, absolutely. No, that's good to know. Uh, as a streamer myself, uh, like you said, I have six, seven streamers, and it'd be nice to kind of consolidate all that into into one platform. And I like. Yeah, I mean, I reflect back. Like when Netflix was dominant, that was kind of best. You could get a Disney movie, <laughs> you could get a Universal movie, you can get it all. Like it, it. Uh, the studios reflect and say, "We built Netflix. Like we allowed Netflix to be what it is because we gave them our content." And and they're kind of right, you know, but. But as a customer, when you got Netflix, oh, Jesus, only ten, eleven dollars a month. You had everybody's movies on there. Like that was pretty easy, right? There was that was a good service. And so, I, I you know, I don't think it'll ever go back where there's one really dominant service. I don't think that's possible. But I think forcing the consumer to decide which of the seven, eight, nine they're going to have just creates niches where the the quality of content and the quantity of content isn't going to match what the consumer expects. Absolutely. Um, kind of going back to what you have said earlier about uh, Landmark having it, it's one of its best uh, uh, months in, in recent times. Uh, I'm just curious, what does success uh, mean to you or look like to you? What's your definition yeah. of success? I mean, 
there, there's two things. So when I'm referring to one of our best loans ever, I'm looking at profitability in that particular point in time. And I'm saying the business had certainly bounced back to a place where we were all really excited about overall what we had achieved. And as a business going through the contraction that we did of COVID, we obviously controlled our expenses uh, tremendously and cut back on any discretionary spends that we possibly could. Um, there was price inflation going through where we were trying to price up. But, but all of that is kind of the, the financial success of it. Our, our business is kind of unique in that, you know, when you're going to turn on the radio on a Monday morning, you're driving in and all these box office numbers are being reported of this movie did 20, this one did 30, whatever it is, what was top of the box office. It's because as an industry, we all consolidate that data into one service and then it gets reported out publicly to anyone who's on the service. And so we within the industry can see what our competitors did, what the theaters in the US did, what every theater in Calgary, I could tell you what its box office was last night on every single movie. And so for us as a company who's really a very distant number two in Canada, I mean, Cineplex is about 75% of the Canadian market. Landmark will range between 13 to 15% on any given movie. And as that kind of challenger brand, that's much smaller, more nimble. One of the things that we as a team have always been really focused on is where can we win? Like we love to win and feel like our strategy, our execution, our approach, our focus on the customer, our focus on the experience, guess what? It paid off and we won market share. And you can kind of take these actions and you can come to the office on Monday morning and say, how did we do? What was our share versus theirs? And so, you know, some businesses don't have a scoreboard, so to speak, that really shows it the way we do. But I can every day come in and go, our share in the weekend was X, Cineplex's share in the weekend was X. How do we feel about that? And we get to celebrate the wins and rationalize a few of the losses sometimes too. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I have a couple more questions here for you, Bill. Um, one thing I always love to ask my guests on the podcast is, what's maybe one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? You know, the one question that, that you never get asked uh, that, that I think when you're thinking about someone's career and development and leadership, you don't get asked about your grades and you don't get asked about where you went to school. You, you get asked and, and, and you'll be asked about the things you've done and how you've performed in the roles that you've had. And so, you know, I say that with the benefit of an undergraduate degree in business and a master's in business, that yes, I, I do have an education that sort of contributed to people's willingness to take some of those risks on me. But, but, you know, when I reflect back on my experience in school, um, and I guess it's just something for anybody that's kind of listening and coming up in their career, it's like, I was a high two GPA to a maybe low three if I was really feeling eager and I was playing basketball and sports and I was active and I was social as heck. And, and you know, I think it's reflecting on what you're getting out of, out of these educational sort of paths that you're on, no matter where you go, or what programs you're in. I think it's about the completeness of what you can take from that and trying to figure out, yeah, your grades and there's a point in time and depending on what career path you want to go on, those are going to have an impact. But but what you take from the overall experience um, is going to be more impactful, I think, on how you kind of project into the rest of your, your career. And so, you know, being high integrity, being a good person, having great social skills, being able to make fast friends when you get into a new business, and then just being really curious in everything that you do that that disposition um, is often something that I think is so much more valuable than necessarily where exactly went to school or what those grades might have been. I love that. Your grades don't define you. Um, I, yeah, that's a message I want to keep echoing. And it's really about the intangibles and like you say, your curiosity and 
integrity that really drive you in your career. Um, so yeah, before we end the interview, uh, one of my last questions, uh, I just want to pick your brain and see, but what's maybe something you're curious about right now that, uh, that uh, you'd, you're okay to share with the listeners? Yeah. So uh, I'm curious about a lot of things. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm a big podcast listener myself and always kind of listening to different things out there that, that make you kind of get exposed to different segments. And one that I've been trying to listen to quite a few podcasts on and uh, we as a business are going through some decisions around what our office format looks like is this whole work from home change, right? I mean, going into the pandemic, it was open offices are bad. They've been terrible for productivity and they're the worst thing that ever happened. Um, we're now going through this massive shift where a deeply entrenched five-day work week from a defined space was like really, really normal. It was just the common thing that every business set out to do. Um, and it was kind of unchallenged. COVID challenged that. And then now we're, we're, we have this kind of large company push to say, everybody go back. And then we have small companies going like, like Landmark going, you know, I don't know if we need that. Like, we don't want an office. I want a space. I want a culture. I want to be able to bring people in to interact. But I couldn't convince you why you need to sit there five days a week um, with a very rational argument. Besides, it's easier for me. And so I think what I'm really interested in is where that work from home kind of evolution goes, because I, I can guarantee the pendulum can't guarantee. I would be fairly confident the pendulum will swing where we will be to work from home and then a bunch of businesses will wake up and go, we've lost productivity, we've lost culture, we have no development pipeline, young people aren't getting promoted uh, the way they used to and aren't developing the way they used to. We need to swing back. And I just don't know, you know, I'm trying to figure out how do you stay in the middle and don't kind of overcommit yourself um, down a path that, you know, three, four or five years on from now, we're going to regret. And, you know, it just has massive impacts on downtown cores, urban business districts, the way cities are organized, because it just was all built around offices and the whole ecosystem that went around that. And so I think uh, I'm really curious how that plays out and just trying to, to pay attention to how we for our company can can best manage it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm also watching that. Maybe there 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 is or isn't an overcorrection, but I guess the near future will show us. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Bill. Uh, I'm sure the listeners have got a wealth of uh, your experience and and golden nuggets, like I like to call it. Um, where can our listeners connect with you online if they want to reach out or follow up? Yeah, so I am on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Uh, you can certainly follow Landmark on all of our social channels. I'm not that active on LinkedIn, to be honest. Uh, but you can find Landmark on all the socials. And, and I am on LinkedIn and uh, try to keep up if there's messages in there occasionally. But uh, as you can imagine, it gets a bit over, overwhelmed. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll put those links in the description, guys, so go reach out. Uh, my last question to you, Bill, uh, to end the podcast interview is, what does being a leader or leadership mean to you? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just, it's incredibly rewarding when you get to feel like your approach and, and the interactions you have are making a difference for people and, and that you're leaving a positive wake on the organization. And I always feel like in those interactions, um, when I'm doing my job well and, and people are connected to how they can contribute to the business, when I have an interaction, whether it's one-on-one, -on, -one, on the phone, in a group setting, or when I'm walking through the theaters and talking to people on the front lines where they feel better motivated, engaged, and connected to the business um, is, is where I, draw, I drive some value as a leader 
in feeling like I've given something to them. They're feeling better about their job. They know how they can contribute um, and generally uh, a little bit more energetic about, about how they're going to go about their day and how they feel about about Landmark as a business. And so that's that's something that I really kind of draw some energy from when I'm thinking about my leadership style and, and the opportunities I have to interact with people. Hi, I'm Bill Walker, and you're listening to Joe Momo Presents. Thanks again for watching the Joe Momo Presents podcast. For more episodes, check out joemomo.com slash podcasts. All right, see you next time.